Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, September 8th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. This time out, the mayor updates us on news that came down earlier this week that the city will report a surplus of over $100 million due to higher energy fees. We asked the mayor what the plan is moving forward to use that money and if Calgarians may see a decrease in the fees currently charged for energy use. Next, we head stateside for the latest news making headlines, including the recent developments on the case of the election interference in Georgia. We get the details from Jennifer Johnson, Global's Washington correspondent. And finally, it seems like the latest trend in Hollywood, prequels, sequels, and even three quills. And this weekend fits that description to a T. We get some must-see suggestions from Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes, including the third installment of My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Compared to 2021, average market rent is up 40%. Median home prices uh, for single detached houses up 37%. What steps will the city take to address affordability and the housing crisis? It's an ongoing saga. We'll get some answers and discuss all things Calgary with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Happy Friday to you, Madam Mayor. And happy Friday to you. Before we get there, the latest that we're hearing, uh, Mayor, is about this uh, surplus we're going to be having in the city of Calgary due to energy fees. I want to break this down and dig into it because I think a lot of us would be interested to know where this money is going to go and and what's being done about these fees. Can can you break it down for us? Absolutely. So earlier in the year, uh, we had asked administration to come and talk to us about how uh, local access fees or franchise fees, as they're called sometimes, are set and is it actually the right formula for this point in time. And we received a report for information that, you know, really just said um, this is, the current procedure and practice and we left things alone. Now that we've had the mid-year performance report come to us and that we could see that, uh, you know, six months uh, past in the year, we stand to earn quite a bit from these franchise fees. We are having a presentation next week on Tuesday the 12th at Council to understand how we came up with the formula that's based on consumption plus price and we will have a debate as council about whether that still works because ultimately the question is this. When we came up with that formula, it was a bit of a hedge so that when electricity prices are high, when energy prices are high, we stand to collect enough as a corporation to cover the increase in cost. But that is coming at the expense of Calgarians. So while we have a responsibility to manage our finances, we also have a responsibility to protect consumers. So that's the conversation we're having on Tuesday. So, and then another special conversation you're having September 16th, you've called a special meeting of council to address the housing crisis. We know vacancy rate lowest it's been in 14 years. Um, It's clear we are in an affordable housing crisis in Calgary. So what are you hoping to do at this special meeting? So on Saturday the 16th, I called a special meeting of council so we can make the final decision on what we are doing with the recommendations that are coming to us at committee on the 14th. Those recommendations include a lot of really good ideas like selling off city-owned land to create mixed housing developments that are near transit, like selling off city-owned land to make sure that affordable housing providers are able to build units quickly. We have um, a $10,000 per suite incentive that is proposed for folks that will build secondary suites, and we have a commitment of $10 million towards housing for Indigenous people or equity-deserving groups. So there's so many great ideas in what uh, administration is bringing forward to us. We need to act on them right away. 
I want to ask you this, Madam Mayor, and this is not exactly stats-based by any stretch of the imagination. Hey, maybe some stat, uh, statistician has uh, some information uh, surrounding this, but when I see things on Facebook, when people talk about, you know, rezoning of, of homes in older neighborhoods, I live in an older neighborhood from 1967, 1968, I see a lot of backlash. How much of an issue do you think it is in the city of Calgary when it comes to NIMBY, not in my backyard? Are we up against that kind of a stigma with, with multi- uh, purpose housing in in neighborhoods you know i will say two things in that regard firstly the decisions that we're making next week do not implement rezoning immediately so i need to clarify that for calgarians if we move forward to explore the idea of having a base land use district where you could have one unit or two or three on a single lot the only thing that happens with a yes vote is the ability for the public to actually weigh in. We would be able to start public engagement and start a public hearing process where we can speak directly with Calgarians about whether they agree with this idea. That's what a yes means next week. It doesn't mean we go towards the new zoning bylaw. The other thing I will say is people are sometimes wary of what they don't know. And so there's a feeling that there's going to be an apartment that's going to pop up next door or You know, who's going to live there? That's what people worry about. But if you look at the neighborhoods we've built in the last 10 years, it's all mixed housing. You come in and there's row houses, you turn the corner, there's single detached, there's townhomes across from it. When you move into those communities and that mix of housing is there, no one bats an eyelash. So you can actually live a very good life with different styles of housing in your neighborhood. And that's what we need in the city right now. And Mayor, obviously it's gaining attention, right, with uh, MP Michelle Rempel-Garner praising, you know, what's being done and the some of the, you know, rejecting some ideas and trying to come up with outside-the-box thinking. So clearly it's gaining attention, and I think that's really important to show that you and your council are coming up with ideas to really, truly try and address something that's been a problem for decades now. Absolutely, and so that we don't fall into the situation that Toronto and Vancouver are in, where their housing affordability issue is beyond a crisis. We actually have the ability to do something right now. And further to that, when you talk to companies that are moving to this city and they tell you what they need to keep the good folks that work there, they will tell you unequivocally that they need homes that people can afford in every community. So if we want to be a leader in economic recovery and we want to be a leader in inclusivity, these are actions we have to take next week. I want to ask you this, and I know that, you know, we might not have any update, but any news is news. Sue checked out the chicks last night at the Saddle Dome and said, you know what, the sound system was not what it should be. Hey, we need a new venue. Oh, and I said, wow, (laughs) Sue, nobody's ever discussed this. Shocker. Where are we now uh, with the arena deal, and uh, what what is the latest? Do we have any news, or where are we going with it as of uh, September 8th, 2023? So we are still in the stage of definitive agreements being reviewed and signed by all parties. And when those definitive agreements have been signed by all groups, there will be an announcement. And not until then, is that what you're saying? You've got nothing to to sneak out information to us, leak a little bit here and there? (laughs) You know what? I can't say anything until I know those agreements are signed. And uh, I believe every partner feels the same way. So we shall see. It it should come soon, I believe. Well, that would be a good thing. I think a decision just needs to be made one way or the other, right? So that Calgarians know what's coming, what's not coming, and and we move forward. But I think uh, moving forward is is something that, you know, council's getting 
kudos and props for in many different ways. Are you pleased with the council that you have and, and how you're managing to get things done in this city? I'm incredibly pleased with the council that we have right now. We are people that understand there are important decisions before us. We try to be pragmatic. We are evidence-based. And there are many times that we've had unanimous votes. I think we are a council that understands that civility is important and transparency with the public is a very significant part of our job. I don't, we don't like to look back too often, but we did get the information last weekend that you were cleaning your house. That was your weekend plan. Want to <laughs> a check on how that went. And what about this week? What does the mayor have on tap? Are you going to be checking out the uh, Rotary Ribfest? Well, I got to tell you, the bathrooms are glistening in my home now <laughs> as a result of the long weekend. Uh, this weekend, I have a couple of community events going on. Um, there's going to be the official opening of Century Gardens basketball court okay. on Sunday. So if you have a chance to get out and about in the city, you should do so this weekend. Yeah, well, the weather's still nice. There are a ton of things going on. Um, get out and enjoy. You're right. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks, Calgary Mayor Jody Gondek. A judge in Atlanta has denied motion by two of former President Trump's co-defendants to go it alone in their election-meddling racketeering cases. Joining us with the latest on this and everything happening stateside, we are joined by Jennifer Johnson, Global News Washington correspondent. Good morning to you, Jennifer. Good morning, Andy. Good morning, Sue. Well, let's talk about this. And, uh, you know, that this back and forth and uh, this denial of the motion by these co-defendants, why is this important? Why are we talking about it? Well, for starters, these co-defendants want this case tried in federal court, not in a state court, um, which they think will be an easier passage for them because um, so many of the federal judges were were appointed by Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. So that's for starters. Both of the motions were denied. um, But what's telling about this is, you know, the big name was Mark Meadows, who was the former chief of staff under Donald Trump's administration. And while he was arguing that this case should either be thrown out or moved to federal court, he also immediately started to point the finger at his boss, saying that he didn't want to face the wrath of his boss, that he didn't call the Georgia Secretary of State, um, if he didn't dial the phone. Um, he was told to do it. He was ordered to do it. He served with you know, the request of the president. And so this, I think, is telling of what's to come down the road, that there's, you know, 18 co-defendants along with Donald Trump, and they are making it pretty clear at this point they're going to point the finger at Donald Trump, at the boss. But, Jennifer, are there now just so many players, so many indictments, so many charges that the, the water is so muddy that nobody knows what the heck's going on anymore? Well, it depends on who you talk to. I mean, I, I think the the waters will become less muddy when things start going to trial. And um, right now, the case in Washington, um, the insurrection case, is the one that's apparently going to um, go to trial first. But, you know, the, you always, as a defendant, have the right to request more time and have the request, you know, request that you aren't ready, you're not prepared, your depositions aren't done. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how long this is going to take with all these different cases. It does seem like it's constant. I mean, there was just another ruling yesterday on um, E. Jean Carroll, um, the person that Donald Trump has found liable of raping. Um, Her defamation suit against Donald Trump can go forward. I mean, there are so many lawsuits, so many indictments, 91 at this point. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot to remember and unpack. But I think the bottom line is Donald Trump is going to spend a lot of time in court over the next two years, three years. Jennifer, still talking about the, the past week in the life of Senator Mitch McConnell and, of course, these issues in public of, of seeing the senator freeze up. And uh, we're not finished yet with this topic because it does open up the philosophical conversation between the you know, right to, to, to be in political office, the right to represent, but also that fine line between that and ageism when some are suggesting that politicians should have a shelf life when it comes to age. What is the latest on it and what do we know medically? Anything further about Senator McConnell? Well, Senator McConnell says that his test came back fine. There's nothing really wrong with him. But if anybody has seen the video of him freezing up, I mean, he just becomes blank. And, you know, is it a mini stroke? Is he, you know, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. He's claiming his doctors can't find anything wrong with him. But what you said is it does open up a Pandora's box of if he is not going to resign or step down from his position um, and he's going to continue in office, the Democrats will make the same argument that so should Joe Biden. If Joe, you know, if, if Mitch McConnell's fit to serve, you know, as in his powerful position, why can't Joe Biden serve as an 80-year-old president? And I think, you know, if, if I were in the back room of a Republican, you know, of a bunch of Republicans, I'm sure they're, they're going to say to him at some point, step down and say, you're too old to serve. So it makes the president, you know, look, make his case mm. much more difficult to argue. That's an interesting one. That's sort of an ongoing discussion, isn't it? But uh, let's talk about immigration now, Jennifer, because this is one that uh, it just seems it never goes away. And it's it has become such a polarizing issue as the immigration issue in the United States. What are we at in in terms of the situation right now, especially with Texas? Well, you know, it's interesting to say that because this is something that has gone on for both, you know, it's something that America can't seem to solve no matter who's in the White House, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. This is a decades-long fight in Congress, and there never seems to be a solution. So the Texas situation is that the governor ordered these, I can't even describe them, like large buoys so that immigrants or migrants can't swim across the Rio Grande. And a judge in Texas has ruled that he cannot do that. He doesn't have the right to do it. He's an international body of water. He doesn't have the right to put up these obstacles. Um, They're dangerous. People can drown, et cetera, et cetera. The governor of Texas is going to appeal this. The next step is a conservative uh, appellate court. So probably um, the ruling will probably be more favorable um, then the Biden administration um, will appeal that. And ultimately, what the governor of Texas is hoping is that this case goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, the conservative U.S. Supreme Court, and that he gets a favorable ruling that basically he can do anything he wants in his state to prevent migrants from, from getting into Texas. Jennifer, uh, we did have some heat up here in our neck of the woods, but the weather is cooling now here. Uh, but I guess the same can't be said for our friends down south. What can you tell us about the latest heat wave hitting some of the states? Yeah, this is a bizarre late, I don't know what you call it, late summer, early fall heat wave, just extremely hot down here. The problem is that schools that went into session in places like Philadelphia, Baltimore, um, a lot of them do not have air conditioning. So Baltimore schools are back to virtual learning. Philadelphia schools are going in for a few hours in the morning and then 
um, and then releasing the students so it doesn't get too, too hot in the afternoon for them. Um, pools in Washington, D.C. have decided to stay open until September 21st. And the bigger issue as we talk to climate scientists is that this is going to become the new normal. The earth is getting hotter. And, you know, we talked to a guy yesterday um, from the World Health Organization, the meteorological uh, section of that, basically saying, I'm sorry, from the U.N., excuse me, um, basically saying that not only are you going to have these, these increasing heat waves, but you're also gonna, going to have, and this is important to both of our audiences, both in America and Canada, more wildfires. And that's something, as I said in my piece last night, no American or no Canadian wants to hear, but that's what they're predicting. There's no shortage of news to talk about. There never is. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, filling us in on all that's going on south of the border. Appreciate your time. Thanks. Thank you, Sue and Andy. Nice speaking with you. Great to talk to you. Jennifer Johnson is Global News Washington correspondent. Call it the month of the sequels. We'll get to that in just a moment. But we are joined, as we do every Friday, by Brett McGarry, host of the Couch Potatoes, to talk about what's new in theaters this weekend. Hi, Brett. How are you? Doing okay, how are you? Awesome, thank you. Let's start with my big fat Greek wedding, part three, in fact. That's right, part three. One wedding started a global phenomenon. Greek voodoo, bam! Now, your favorite big Greek family is back for more. Let's do it! On September 8th. You got us back to Greece. You're the head of the family now. This is going to be fun. You're invited. Where are your eating pants? I baked the goat. <laughs> to the feel-great movie of the year. It's the one we have for dinner. Uh, I'm a vegetarian. No. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, rated PG-13, only in theaters September 8th. So, Nia Vardalos from Winnipeg is back as the star, writer, and director of this threequel. Now, the first movie came out in 2002, and it really was a huge hit. It was a $5 million budget film, and it made $368 million worldwide. Ooh. They finally made a sequel in 2016, and they were talking about making a threequel back in 2018, but the pandemic kind of got in the way eventually. And Anyway, this new one takes them to Greece, this time for a family reunion. It looks fun. It's only at 30% at Rotten Tomatoes as of this morning. One of the headline uh, that I, one of the headlines I see here is uh, it is time. This, this film 22 years later is compelling. I, I feel it should compel the beginning of divorce proceedings. Oh, ouch. So, wow. Okay. Wow. Well, maybe it's one of those things that'll do well on streaming because it had that, you know, nostalgic factor. I guess we'll see. But uh, continuing uh, from one uh, that was the uh, what is it? Trequel to the uh, sequel of The Nun Chapter 2. I didn't realize nuns had to enter the scare zone, but I guess we're running short on material. And let's have a, a sequel to The Nun. That's right. So the first nun came out in 2018. I had a series of visions when I was younger. And after each one ended, the same thought would be stuck in my head. What did you see? I saw a nun. Not just a nun, but the nun. So if you've seen the Conjuring movies in The Conjuring 2 in 2016, the the big scary monster in that 
was The Nun. And it went over so well that it got its own movie. And it's not the first movie because they've got their, everything's got to be a universe now. So there's the Conjuring <laughs> universe. So they've, we've had spinoffs of Annabelle and I think there was another one. And now, and then The Nun came out in 2018. And the the Nun in The Conjuring 2, that whole movie was scary. It was good. It was a serious, scary movie. And The Nun is one of the scariest things I've ever seen on screen. So I was looking forward to the movie when it came out in 2018. But it wasn't very good. It was, it, it was this bizarre mix of scary sometimes and really campy and silly at other times. It just couldn't figure out what kind of a movie it wanted to be. And the reviews reflected that. It was at 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. But it made a ton of money, so here we are. Uh, we're with the sequel at last. And as far as the plot goes, I don't know. There's an evil uh, demon nun doing evil demon nun things. <laughs> back for more. Back from hell. Uh, to exact some vengeance, but it's actually getting a little bit better reviews. It's uh, the first one was twenty four percent, and this one's at fifty three percent. that's not a lot better, yeah. Brad. But it, I guess it is no. better. But interesting that last week it was Equalizer three. This time, my big fat Greek wedding three. The Nun two. What's with all the sequels? I don't know. I should. I've been meaning to look into the full. Like, is there a reason, or is this just the the way the cookie ended up crumbling? Because we've got next week on September fifteenth, a haunting in Venice, which is I don't know that you can really call this a sequel, but it's the third install. It's a third adaptation from Kenneth Branagh on Agatha Christie's books on Hercule Poirot, and then on September twenty second, we Sylvester Stallone and Co are back for the Expendables four. Have you seen the tagline for that? No. They'll die when they're dead. <laughs> I like that. That's I actually good. Like That's that. good. And then uh, September 29th, here's the. this is an interesting convergence. We have Paw Patrol, the mighty movie. So that's a sequel. And then we have Saw X. So they're in, inspired by the combination name of Barbenheimer. When Barbie and Oppenheimer came out the same weekend, uh, some people are calling that weekend Saw Patrol. Oh, wow. <laughs> or just oh Saw and Paw for oh short. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what? It's not exactly a sequel, but it's a saga continuing each and every Friday with <laughs> oh, Brett McGarry of the good one. Couch Potatoes. And uh, we will catch up next week, but thanks for the watch list this weekend. Thanks so much, Brett. All righty. It's Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes.